0: Just reach out, and let's minister to each other that way. Um, as uh, I, I was thinking about this morning, um, we're right on the cusp of 2024, and I don't know what's going on in your life right now, um, but you might be uh, dealing with some messes. Those kind of come our way, and if you're not, let me give you a little encouragement. Give it a couple days, okay? Okay. Um, Messes come, and they can hurt. They can be um, frustrating. And the prophet Jonah found himself stuck in quite a mess. Uh, John read for us Jonah chapter 1 to kind of give us the context, because this morning I want us to focus on Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, as we're introduced to this prophet of God, um, you probably recognize that this guy was a jerk. How else can you say it? Someone who was so self-focused, what he wanted for himself, for his people, when God came to him and said, go to Nineveh and pronounce my judgment against them, Jonah knew something about God. Such a pesky thing. God is a merciful, forgiving God. And so, Jonah knew if God was announcing, hey, 40 days, and then Nineveh is going to be overthrown, oh, (laughs) there's a chance that those Ninevites are going to repent. So, he went exactly the opposite direction. We know that part of the story. And as he's stuck there in the middle of that storm… The sailors are throwing everything they can overboard to make the ship lighter so that it would float. They're rowing hard. They're doing everything they can. What's Jonah doing? He's in the lower part of the ship. Right? Okay. Do, not, do not try to be Jonah this morning in the lower part of the ship, please. I know it's we've we, we got to get some rest in for you know, ringing in the new year, but Jonah's asleep. What in the world? they They, they roust him up, they say, "Call out to your God." Jonah hasn't done that. Jonah doesn't show any care for those sailors. He doesn't show any care for the Ninevites. He's a jerk. But as we come to Jonah chapter two this morning, we come to a part of Jonah's story that we can often skip over. It's not a lot of action in it, okay It doesn't make Does it make for good uh, kids' uh, cartoons or, um, uh, you know, flannel graph in Sunday school? Because how do you illustrate chapter (laughs) 2? Jonah chapter 2 is primarily his prayer when he was inside the great fish. But this section is so important because it gives us a glimpse into Jonah's heart and what was really wrong, what was really going on inside. Now, we do start to get some glimpses of hope because we see him finally talking to God. We see thankfulness on his part. We see him trusting in God's mercy. But that hope is soon muted when we see Jonah still struggling with being focused on himself, his comfort, and bigotry toward others. But that's what makes Jonah so real. I think that's why we can connect with him so well. Because the struggle isn't hidden. It's just clearly there for everyone to see, and it's pretty clear why he's acting this way. Again, John read for us chapter 1, but just to remind ourselves, at this point, Jonah chapter 2, he's in the belly of the fish, And why is he in the belly of the fish? Because he chose to run. He chose to be thrown overboard. That was his choices. And now he's stuck. He's not going anywhere. His choices have put him in a rough place. Have you ever been there? Where your choices put you in a mess, and you just can't get out, you can relate to Jonah this morning. But this is also God's mercy to Jonah, because it's in these types of messes where you can learn important lessons about yourself and God, because Jonah chapter 2 teaches us four revelations that being stuck in a mess can bring. Being stuck in a mess can reveal to us, first off, what motivates your prayers. Do you notice at the end of chapter 1, look at verse 17. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Jonah's in the stomach of this fish. How long had he been there? Three days and three nights. Doesn't that seem a little odd to you? I mean, no. (laughs) Thank you for the honesty, right? I mean, I don't know about you. If I, if it was like reverse sushi, and so the fish ate me, um, I would have been calling out instantly. (laughs) I'm praying as soon as I hit that fish's stomach. Three days and three nights. But this lines up with the self-focused attitude that we saw from Jonah in chapter 1. I don't want to do what God says, so I'm going to sit here. Can you relate? (laughs) I've been there. God, I don't want to do what you said. I don't want to follow through on that. So, mm. Chapter 2 is the first time that Jonah talks to God in this whole story. The pagan sailors actually call out to God back in chapter 1 before Jonah ever does. And Jonah hints at why. Why does he finally call out to God? Well, look at Jonah 2 verse 2. It says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. This wasn't comfortable And it wasn't going away. He expected, get chucked over, I die. He didn't. He didn't die. He's just stuck and it hurts. And that gives us a moment for ourselves to pause and ask the question, what gets you to pray? Is it a a desire, a seeking after God where you want His help? so that you have the right heart and actions, that you want to bring Him glory, that you, you need His help to show His love, His forgiveness toward others? Or is it that next financial issue or crisis? Is it that, God, please get me out of this situation. Don't, don't let those people find out what I did. Now, please don't misunderstand me. God does want us to come to Him with our crises, with the messes that we've created, but if those are the things that really get you to pray and pray consistently, you may be focused more on your comfort than really seeking relationship with God. It was this discomfort, it was this affliction that got Jonah to pray and challenges us to examine what motivates your prayers. But there's a second revelation that we see here, being stuck in a mess can bring. It's how scary consequences can really be. Again, remember when Jonah was on that ship? What did he choose? Chuck me overboard, right? That's what he chose. Chose. Let's get the right tense. That's what he chose. Chose. If you look at what he talks about at the end of chapter one, what was he focused on? He was focused on running from God's presence, not doing what God had called him to. Now if you choose to jump overboard in the middle of the ocean during a raging storm, what are you going to experience? You're going to be fighting for your life, right? That doesn't seem like a really great choice. You're, you're going to be slapped with waves, back and forth, tossed to and fro, submerged. There's that, that, that panic of preserving your life. You're going to be gasping for air. I don't think Jonah was thinking about that. When he was made his choice, he was focused on what he wanted in that situation. He was running away from God. And he wasn't thinking about the consequences that would come next. And folks, you and I have to be careful in our lives because we can become so focused on a feeling or a situation or a problem that we don't look at life beyond that feeling, that situation, or that problem. And so it becomes all-encompassing. It takes up all of our thoughts, and it can drag us to very dark places because we're just focused on that one thing. We're not thinking about the consequences, and we're not thinking about God. But now, for Jonah, being stuck in that mess, inside that fish, he had time to think. And he records for us what he went through in his prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Notice he kind of summarizes his struggle and the hope. Jonah 2 verse 2, he says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol is that that idea of the grave, the afterlife. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. This was a real struggle. This was scary stuff, but God wanted to hear from Jonah. When Jonah cried out, he never got a, please leave your number after the beep. Beep. No. No. God answered him. He heard him. God wants us to call out to him from the middle of our crises, our messes. But notice verses 3 through 6 as he describes this sinking, both the the physical aspects of it and then how it affected him emotionally, spiritually. Verse 3, he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Do you get the picture? Here he is. He's being slapped around. Verse 4, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. Here it is. This isn't just a physical crisis. There's fear. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. This is the end. It's done. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Again, there's a real struggle here. There's a scary situation. But Jonah's doing something very special for us. Because Jonah, in your Bible, you may notice that these verses, most of this prayer is, is really set off in a little different format. That's identifying that this is Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry can use a, a um, tool to help us focus in on here's the point. Here's what's being taught. And Jonah does that here. It's ca- something called chiasm. You may have heard of me refer to it before. Chiasm is a way for Hebrew poetry to point to the point. It takes similar words and phrases, and it bookends them, and then stair steps them down to the main point. So let me show you what Jonah learned. If you look at um, verse 2, he says, I cried out to the Lord. That's God's personal name. That's why you have the capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, Jehovah. It's identifying who he really is, his character. Look at down at the end of verse 6. You've brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Again, God's personal name. Again, verse 2. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Verse 6. You have brought up my life from the pit. Again, similar references. Verse Three, you cast me into the deep. Verse five, the deep closed around me. Notice how it's drawing our attention and what's in the middle. Verse four, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And just to make for sure we don't miss what Jonah's emphasizing, what he learned, he actually quotes himself. See that? Then I said, quote, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. He's stuck in a mess, and he is seeing that the consequences were more than what he was expecting. But as he's stuck there, he learns a third revelation that being stuck in a mess can bring. It's that God hasn't changed, even in that mess, in all the struggle and pain. Because when you're stuck in a mess, particularly one that you created, you can start to think God is ashamed of you. He's angry at you, being cruel or unfair to you. And you forget who God really is. Again, Jonah was right there. What does he say? I have been cast out of your sight. This is how he's feeling. He's just being honest about it. I have been cast out of your sight. But as we've sung about before, great is God's faithfulness. We sung about it this morning. Think about it. What was it like in that fish's stomach, that whale's stomach? Now, I'm sure you've seen in the the preschool Bibles, things like that. We had them. There's Jonah. He's got his candle. He's got a little crustacean next to him. He's on his knees. He's praying. There's light coming in through the blowhole of the whale, right? That is as far from the truth. It's nice for a kid's book. It's as far from the truth as anything. Think about it. When he was swallowed by that fish, it would have been pitch black. Like, you can't see your hand in front of your face. There would have been weird sounds all around him from the digestive system of this creature. Whoa, Pressure that would have been on him as the, as the fish dove and came back up. Water pressure increasing. It would have pressed in on him. It, it would have smelled putrid, rancid. There would have been those occasional rushes of water when the fish opened its mouth to feed. Can you imagine that? Pitch black. Even that messes with your mind. And all of a sudden you hear, and you know it's coming. And then, bam, you get hit by a wall of water. And what are you doing? You're struggling. You're trying to get to the top just to get to an air pocket. He would have been gasping for air at times. Jonah felt like he had been cast out, the idea even of being driven away from God's sight. But even though he felt that God wouldn't want to hear from him, what did he do? It says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Because Jonah was learning, he was remembering that God hasn't changed. The idea here is he's looking toward the temple. He's not because, oh yeah, yeah, okay, the temple's that way. No, it's that he's remembering God's personal presence. The temple being the place where God's personal presence would manifest itself. He's remembering God. And he says almost the exact same thing down in verse 7. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. There's his personal name again, his character, who he really is. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Jonah is learning, he's remembering, I know who God is, what he's really like. He's gracious, he's forgiving, he's full of love. So I'm going to ask for his help. This is a key theme throughout Jonah. When you get to the end of the story, this is why Jonah ran. He tells God that. I knew you'd forgive those Ninevites. That's why I went the other direction. Jonah recognizes. that he comes to his senses. This is um, like in Luke 15 where Jesus is talking about, um, the, he's telling the par- uh, parable of the prodigal son. And as that prodigal son is sitting in the slop and with the pigs. It says, he came to himself. He came to his senses and he said, my father has servants and they're fed and they're clothed. I'm going to go back to him and ask to be a servant. Because the, the prodigal son was realizing, I know who my father is. I know his character. That's what Jonah is experiencing here. And folks, let me encourage you this morning... That no matter what mess you're facing, remember who God really is, that He loves you, He cares about what you're facing, and He shows mercy even though we don't deserve it. Think about it. You've seen it before. You've seen it maybe in in folks here in the church. You've seen it in your own life. And of course, we see it best in Jesus. The realization, the revelation that God hasn't changed. But there's a fourth revelation that being stuck in a mess can bring. It's that God hasn't changed, but you need to. Notice chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He's called out to God. He's depending on God's character, who He really is. And in verse 8, He says, "...those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy." But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now Jonah has just had this powerful moment of growth. He's calling out to God in trust. But as he does this, he now reveals that he has more growing to do. But that's what makes him so real. And that's the power of being stuck in a mess because it shows us areas where we do continue to need growth. Jonah here, as as he uh, continues his prayer, he identifies two glorious traits about God when it comes to messes. What does he say in verse 8? He is a God of mercy. This is the idea of his steadfast love. It's the God is not going anywhere in the middle of the mess. We might feel like it, but He's not. And, verse 9, He is a God of salvation. He's the one who delivers us. We know from our sin, and He delivers us through the messes. But at the same time, while Jonah is is giving these glorious truths that we would be excited about, he's also drawing his own line between those who should get God's mercy and those who shouldn't. And this is where we see that that prejudice, that bigotry starting to come out again. Again, look at verse 8. What worthless idol worshipers had Jonah recently been around? those sailors, right? What had Jonah's attitude been toward them? We saw it in the reading. He didn't care. He didn't try to help. But compare the sailors to Jonah. What attitude toward God did the sailors end up with? They, it says, chapter 1, they feared the Lord. There it's his personal name, (laughs) Jehovah. They feared Jehovah. They sacrificed to Him, and they took vows to Him. And folks, we need to remember that people whom we think wouldn't have a place with God can exercise some of the greatest faith and trust in Him. Jesus experienced this over and over in the New Testament, where it was Gentiles, Samaritans, even Roman centurions, part of the oppressive government over them who who expressed such great faith in Jesus that he would say, I've not found such great faith in all of Israel. We can often think, well, those people, they really wouldn't follow God. We can assume that. But it's not true. Again, in verse 9, here's Jonah's line. Those who regard worthless idols, they forsake their own mercy. But I, I will sacrifice to you. Newsflash. What had the sailors already done? Sacrificed. But I, I will pay what I have vowed. Well, at least he's admitting he wasn't following through on his vows. (laughs) Who'd already taken vows to the Lord? The sailors. Jonah's attitude here, what he's reflecting to us, is very much, well, I'm better than them, so I certainly deserve God's mercy and can trust in His salvation. They, those sailors, those Ninevites, those those type of people, they can't. We need to ask ourselves at this point, who do you think can't experience or doesn't deserve to experience God's mercy and help? Probably a really good indication of that is how you respond to them. Just in the quiet of your own heart, you might not make it public, but how do you respond to them? What about that person who shows up at church who doesn't socially fit in? You're like, Okay, we're going to sit on this side of the auditorium this morning, right? What about that person who's wrestling with their gender or their sexuality? There's that feeling. and What about someone from a certain religion, Muslim, Hindu, or region, Gaza, Russia? We can start to view them, we can start to think about them like they don't deserve God's help but we sure do. Do you see the danger? Now, I'm not talking about ignoring sin. God doesn't do that. But what I am saying is, is that we have to guard our heart and our responses toward them because we can so easily not be like our God. Jonah clung to God's mercy and help for himself and his mess which was totally right. That's what God wanted him to do. That's what God wants us to do. But where Jonah was struggling was saying, but not for those people. I'm going to cling to you, God, because you're God of mercy, but not for those people. And I think that's why Jonah chapter 2 ends with verse 10. It says, so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, this is God's mercy with a little humor, is, is what I call it. Of course, how is God merciful here? He speaks to the fish, right? <laughs> but when you vomit, what does that usually mean? You're sick, right? And what I had read, vomiting in the Old Testament is also not a good thing, right? It's not indicating something good. Have you ever had food poisoning? Okay, I call this profit poisoning. Jonah's attitude turns the stomach, what he just expressed in verses 8 and 9. It turns the stomach even of the fish. So, imagine you're walking down that beautiful Mediterranean coastline, it's a beautiful morning, the sun's just starting to come up. It's still cool. The water's calm. You're breathing in that fresh morning air, and all of a sudden, whoa, here's this giant fish, whale, whatever it was. He just beaches itself right in front of you, and guess what comes next? Here's this slimy, nasty, smelly guy. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, hey, guess what? I'm going this way, right? right? That's the picture. Jonah's attitude, while he is right in saying, God, help me, and I can trust in you, he's completely wrong in saying, those Ninevites, those sailors, those worthless idol worshipers, they don't deserve it. But even here, God had not given up on Jonah. The story's not done yet. And God would keep walking with him as Jonah continued to grow. And can I encourage you that way this morning? God might be pricking your heart about, there's those people, there's from there, that idea, that identity, whatever. God isn't giving up on you. He won't. In the middle of your mess, in the middle of what you're struggling with and where you need to grow, God is a God of mercy Steadfast love, and He's a God of salvation who delivers us. So, as we are on the cusp of 2024 and all the messes that it can bring, let me encourage you, challenge you with this thought this morning. For 2024, cling to God's help when you're stuck in a mess. Share God's help when someone else is too could be a mess of their own sin and they need the gospel let's be a church let's be believers who bring god's mercy and his salvation to those messes let's pray father thank you that you are a god of mercy If you weren't, we wouldn't even be sitting here this morning. (laughs) You would have just wiped us out long ago. But thank you that that's not who you are. And thank you that we can run to you because of your mercy, because of your grace to us. You want us to. Help us to do that in 2024. But in that same moment, Lord, when we run across the messes of others and some that we don't know how to process, Father, help us to remember your mercy to us and help us to show your mercy to them in sharing your love, in sharing your truth, in sharing the gospel. Thank you that that's how you treat us. Lord, help us to be ambassadors for you in the same way. We do thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.